Hey everybody, I'm Joe Chicarone, and this is Built Not Born, episode 72. Today's guest is Billy Oppenheimer. Billy Oppenheimer is a writer and research assistant to best-selling author Ryan Holiday. Billy and I discuss how a kid from Philly finds himself in Austin, Texas, working for one of the best-selling authors on the planet. Billy discusses his writing and creativity process, how he found the courage to follow his dreams, and the magic of saying yes when opportunity knocks. I was so excited to get Billy Oppenheimer on the show. I found Billy's work through Ryan Holiday and reached out to him. Uh, He is a great guy. He has an awesome blog called Six at Six on Sunday. I have the links in the show notes. I think this kid is going places. Do not be surprised. You see this guy, a best-selling author down the road. I was so excited to connect with him. He just shares a ton of ton of knowledge on the creativity process, the writing process, how books come together. It's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the follow button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come, enjoy my conversation with Billy Oppenheimer. And remember, life is built, not born. Billy Oppenheimer, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Oh, dude, it is awesome to have you. Billy, for the people who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? My name is Billy Oppenheimer. I am a writing and research assistant to the author, Ryan Holiday, based in Austin, Texas. When I'm not busy with work with Ryan, I I sort of do a version of of the work that I do with him on my own stuff on the research side and just started to publish more of my own things. Spend most of my time reading, researching, and writing these days. I want to get into your work with Ryan, one of my favorite authors in the planet. His work has so impacted my life. But I just love your story. I want to get into how a kid from GA, Germantown Academy, winds up in Austin, Texas, writing or working for one of the best writers on the planet right now. But before we do that, I want to go back all the way to the beginning. Where did you grow up? I'm from Conchhocken, a suburb outside of Philadelphia. Was born and raised in Conchie. Went to, as, as you mentioned, went to Germantown Academy for high school. Went to Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania for college. Played the cross there. So yeah, I spent most of my upbringing in the Philadelphia area. If they asked, say, the 18-year-old version of you, say, between Germantown Academy and Lehigh, what you wanted to be when you grew up, what do you think that 18-year-old version of you would have said? I think if you went and asked him, it would be the first time you would have considered it. I was so into what I was doing on the sports side that I never really thought much beyond whatever. I was a big hockey player, a big lacrosse player all, all throughout high school. And then I made the choice to pursue lacrosse. I was always so into that that I never thought beyond life after college, really. So I, yeah, I don't know if I, if the 18 year old me would have even had prior considered life after college, really. Yeah. At 18, you're just so like the average person, just speaking for myself, so in the moment, you're yep. just worried about like what you're going to do that Friday night. You're not too deep of a thinker, right? Yep. Just taking things as they come. 
And it's so hard at 18 to figure out what you want to do 20 years from now, right? Because like at 30, you think different than 18, let alone at like 40, how you think at 18. And to have that 18-year-old person decide what you want to be 30 years later, it's almost unfair to that, that kid. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I often think about that as like thinking about, I, I did end up studying English and economics in college, but it was one of those things where I, you get to that point where they tell you you have to declare a major. Mm-hmm. And I just, my decision-making process was, okay, what what kind of credits do I have piled up at this point? And I just sort of looked at what I, what I had, the classes I had taken. I was like, oh, I, I like that one English professor, so maybe I'll do English. And then I wanted to tack on something in like the realm of business and I had to take econ classes. So that was really the extent of, of my thinking. It did, it does work out now that I'm sort of using that English degree to some extent, but at the time it was just kind of a random fluke decision. Okay. So let's fast forward a little bit. How does someone graduating from Germantown Academy going to Lehigh to play lacrosse? How do you wind up in Austin, Texas? working as a research assistant to the best-selling author, Ryan Holiday. So the moment that this starts to happen, my junior summer in college, I just finished an internship in New York. I had a job offer. I was, I had accepted. All of my friends were, were going that, that sort of direction. We're taking more traditional finance and accounting and investment and all the sort of typical jobs one takes after school and I was lined up to do that as well and I was sitting on the beach with my dad just after that that internship had wrapped up and I was like maybe after I graduate I'll actually I'll take a year off and I'll travel a little bit and go experience some things and and he was really supportive of that I didn't know how to respond to it but he, he thought it'd be a good idea so I I started looking into like how I would do that and I learned that it was pretty common for college lacrosse players to go over to Australia to coach and play over there. So I reached out to some clubs over there and, and linked up with one and, and went over and coached and played. I was supposed to just go over for the three months of the season and just fell in love with Australia. So I stayed there for about a year. And during that experience, I started writing online. I started like a little blog, mostly just to keep friends and family up to date with what I was doing. and. My uncle was reading that blog and he was, he reached out with a book recommendation, which was perennial seller by Orion. Yeah. And he was like, if you take this writing thing seriously, I think you should read this book. And he's a writer himself and it, it was helpful for him. So I read that book and then, you know, you get to the end of the book and it's like also by author and just listed mm-hmm. all of Ryan's other books. So I, I just went down the rabbit hole of his work. I was reading his, his blog started reading the email and then learned more about his trajectory of working with authors and Robert Greene. And that's when I don't think it would have, I would have had the idea to reach out to him if I hadn't learned that sort of what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause prior to that point, I just always saw books as sort of this, like these mystical objects that I never even considered that a person was behind them had done the work to write these things. I think because I started, doing the writing thing myself it clicked in my mind that like oh yeah book is just like a version of what i'm doing reached out to ryan and just like hey your work's been really influential all of his books were sending me down different rabbit holes of 
books that he would mention in those books or in the bibliography. So I was sort of like, if you ever need any help on the research side, I'd love to have that reading be focused by your work. And he replied and was like, yeah, actually, I could use some help with stuff. I'll be in touch. And then it just slowly evolved from he needed help with one project. He needed this interview transcribed and then he needed to track down this paper and just random stuff here and there I would help him with. And then it evolved to a full-time position. And I've been in that capacity for three years or so now, just as his writing and research assistant. Do you remember the moment where it's like you moved from where you were to Austin, Texas? Do you remember that day? We're like, wow, I'm actually not just do side work, but I'm actually yeah. all in. Do you remember that day? What was that like? I do. Cause I, after Australia, I went and I moved to Colorado and I did, I was a ski instructor for two winters there. And then I would go down to the Southern hemisphere to New Zealand and ski down there. And I was sort of just doing this bouncing around. I hadn't put roots down anywhere. And I was back in college in late 2019 and he called me, I was on a chair and I would do like, I would go teach skiing and I would go back and do the work I had to do with Ryan. And I was teaching a group of, of kids skiing and Ryan called me on the chairlift and he was like, what do you think about moving to Austin? And a theme of like our relationship was just like, if he asked something, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Like when he asked, do you want to come on full time? I was like, yep. I I didn't even know what the position was going to be. I didn't know what the pay was going to be. I was just like, yeah, I'm in. So when he called with the, to move to Texas, he was was sort of just like, it'd it'd be good to be more in person and to collaborate more one-on-one rather than going back and forth on email all the time. I was like, yeah, I agree. But at that point, just bouncing around. it didn't seem like a huge move. I was like, yep, yeah, that's, that's just the next spot on the journey, sort of. So I just went for it. Wow. One, one of the things you write about that and your blog is excellent under the, your website, the billyoppenheimer.com. One, you speak of the magic of saying yes without having all the details of what's next. Like just the magic of saying yes. Like you just, you gave like an instant yes without yeah. really knowing like what next six months looks like or everyone's life so planned out and scripted. Like it was almost like a car in the fog where you could see like 15 feet in front of you, but you don't know what's going out like 500 yards in the future. You have no idea. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's probably pros and cons to thinking this way, but I sort of feel like you can have the greatest plan in the world and it never goes as you imagine. And there's this line I like from Matt Damon who was asked about like, when when you say yes to a movie, do you know it's going to do well? And he's like, no, they're all bets. You know, they're all bets. Like you, you can fill it out with a really good cast, but you just don't know how it's going to be received. And I think that's like life itself. Everything is sort of a, a gamble. I don't look too far down the line. It's like, this seems like a good opportunity. I like that analogy of the fog because I, I think that's pretty true of life in general like you can have the greatest plan in the world but it almost never goes as you imagine like even on a daily basis i have a pretty good idea of what i want to do and then there's just things that pop up and the sense of how your day is going to go almost never goes as you imagine and if you extend that out it's it's the same thing so i when i hear an opportunity like ryan's like do you want to move to texas i didn't do a ton of thinking of like well, my family's here. My friends are here. I was just thinking, this is a good opportunity. 
for what I want to do, Austin's probably a good place to be. And I just sort of jumped on it and, and worse comes to worse, I moved back to Philly. If it turns out I don't like Austin, you can always go back, but I wanted to at least, at least explore the opportunity. Courage. Can it be taught or do you think it's innate? Like, where does that courage come? A, to ask for the opportunity, but then the opportunity presents itself. And there's one thing that, that the opportunity is there, but to jump on it, literally to move across the country and to start a new career with it not being well-defined, having no idea where it's going to go. Like courage, is it taught or innate? And how can you build courage if maybe you don't have it? Maybe, maybe you're lacking courage. And you, yeah. you want to build it. Like, can it be taught? Can it be learned? What do you think? I, I definitely think it can be learned. One of the formative experiences for me was, I mentioned I was doing the skiing thing. I, I moved to New Zealand at one point. And I, I sort of was going there without much of a plan. And I thought I'd be able to pretty quickly find a ski instructing job and would just sort of pick up where I left off in, in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I got out there and there's a lot of people with that same plan. So jobs were pretty hard to come by. And I was there for like two weeks and still hadn't landed anything. It was, was sort of like on the verge of, of running out of money. And then I just, I picked up like a, a job at a cafe making coffee. I often think back to that. It's just like when worse got to worse, it wasn't that bad. I got a job making coffee. It was fine. And But I just think courage is, Ryan talks about this a little bit in, in his book, Courage is Calling. It's just like, it's like anything. It's a habit that you do it consistently. You wake up and turn the shower to cold when you don't really want to. That's a small act of courage that that is transferable to, to other experiences in life. You just sort of routinely put yourself in positions that aren't necessarily ideal or aren't totally comfortable for you. It's like a muscle that gets bigger and bigger. That's sort of how I think about it. Yeah. I like that analogy. Like it's a muscle. It's almost like the brain where you don't think it is a muscle, but it is like the more you work it and courage is such a mind game, right? One of the ways that I try to build my courage is that like I'm never the biggest guy in any room, but I've been training Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I have a group of us that meet three times a week. We call it Sunrise BJJ and we train Brazilian jiu-jitsu at 6am. And that process of just not negotiating with yourself, knowing that at 10 of six, you're going to be on the mat with people Mm -hmm. that are bigger, stronger, and faster, and you're going to roll with them. And you're going to be in an uncomfortable situation for the next hour. And you keep doing that. And then it then it just becomes common, or at least becomes like your habit and it's expected. And then you're at a different place than you were like two, three, five years ago when you weren't doing that. Make sense? Yeah, for sure. And I bet you you lean on that experience in things outside of going to the gym. It's mm-hmm. like you got to sit down and write an article or something. That's it's a version of doing something uncomfortable. Yep. But then, but then when you do sit down, you're like, I've done harder things than this. I get up at five 30 on the weekend and go to the gym and train Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I can sit down and like do this writing. Yeah. So I think the, again, the, that like transferability of, stepping outside and doing things you you don't necessarily want to do like that the neuroscientist andrew huberman i'm a big fan of he talks about no go and go circuits and that like when you wake up at 5 30 there's a, a part of you that's like i don't want to do it and you override that no go circuit and that that muscle it builds and those instances where 
you're having that conversation with yourself of like, ah, I don't really want to do it, but you just get better and better overriding that. Yeah. Yeah. It's only, I've heard Tony Robbins was the, the movie, like I'm not your guru was on mm-hmm. Netflix. And he basically jumps in like to a cold plunge pool. Like everyone's doing it now, but he was doing it like 15 years ago. He jumps into like 55 degrees every morning for a couple minutes. And they're asking him, why do you do this? Like, you don't have to do this. And he's like, I do it. So the rest of the day, my body knows that the mind's in charge. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, there's no negotiating. Like, I'm going to tell you to do something uncomfortable and you're doing it. So it's kind of like the mind's in charge, not the body because the body's cold and it's shivering. And uh, yeah, it's cool. Like you mentioned about like jujitsu, you do it and you bring it out into the world. Like it starts on the mat, but then you take it out into the world where you're very uncomfortable. Someone's 60 pounds heavier trying to cross choke you from the mount. You're defending that. There's nothing the rest of the day that's going to be that difficult. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And you just take that. And so a customer's yelling at you or someone, you did something and someone's in your face. You're like, you're so calm. And you're like, why are you so calm? That's a relative term, but you're calmer than you would have been if you didn't have that experience earlier in the day, right? Yes. Seneca, the Stoic has a similar quote where he says, you treat the body rigorously, so it better obeys the mind. Yep. Yeah, I love that. Seneca is my favorite. Now, touching base on Stoicism, my introduction to Stoicism, I think it was like 2015, I blew my knee out training jujitsu, right? Blew my ACL out. And then I'd get the surgery and my head spinning. I got young kids. I don't know what to do. I'm like, I can't walk. And my head was spinning. And I heard Ryan maybe on the Tim Ferriss podcast or someone recommended the book, The Obstacle is the Way. And I read it and I actually felt like that book was written for me at that particular point in my life. And I read it three times during the surgery and the ACL process, like the 10 month, like rehab to get back on the mat. And I literally read it three times and like it's my favorite book ever. And I recommend it to everybody. And then then all of a sudden you're like, who's Seneca? Who's Epictetus? Marcus Aurelius. Then you buy meditations. You know what I mean? Like you said, like one book leads to the next book, right? For sure. Yeah. What was your introduction to Stoic philosophy? Yeah, same. Those obstacles of the way. I told you earlier, the, my introduction to Ryan's work was perennial seller. And then I think I read obstacles. I remember I just like ordered everything he had written after I read perennial seller. Yep. Uh, obstacles of the way, ego is the enemy. I think daily stoic. And I don't think stillness is the key was out yet. But so I, it was obstacle and an ego were my... And, you know, in that book, he doesn't really explicitly talk about stoicism or stoic philosophy. It's, it's more subtly intertwined. But like you mm-hmm. said, you see, you, you see that name, Marcus Aurelius, you know, accuse that. You see Epictetus. And like I said, a lot of Ryan's books were sending me down these different rabbit holes. And now the stoic, that, that was one of the rabbit holes I went down. It was just like, who's Marcus Aurelius? So I bought meditation. Who's Seneca? I bought uh letters to a stoic mm-hmm. and yeah i just i was sort of devouring the, those books and then i'm I probably like you read read obstacles away a couple of times and then on on ryan's blog he was writing a lot about the stoics and subscribed to the daily stoic email back then and this i think it was a similar entry that, that, that you're talking about yeah, perennial seller, like that one book you mentioned that there was your introduction where it's kind of like evergreen material where like if we discussed it now or five years from now, it's still relevant, right? Like that's kind of like one of the takeaways of the book where it's not like just it, it, like like when you write about something that has meaning or principles that any generation can can um, yeah. you know, 
Good stuff. Like Seneca, you want to talk about a perennial seller? He wrote letters to the Stoic about 2,000 years ago. And you mm-hmm. can read that today. And like I'm highlight, like I run out of highlighters. Like yeah. Seneca's one big highlight. Like every quote is just, <laughs> oh my gosh, I wish I could write like this. Like there's a drop the mic line, like every page that he writes, right? Definitely. It's crazy. Now, crazy stuff. One thing too, I found really interesting of your journey that I see a lot in the jujitsu journey is you say the best way to learn a craft is to go straight to the seat of intelligence. Yes. Can you speak to that? I found that pretty powerful. Yeah, well, it's a good segue because that's that's a Marcus Aurelius quote is go to the seat of intelligence. And for me, the way I applied it was I wanted to take writing more seriously. I wanted to, I was finding that I was gravitating towards writers. Like you talked about Ryan on, on the Tim Ferriss podcast. I was I listened to him on that show and that was my introduction to Tim Ferriss. But I remember after that, I was just like any writer that was on a podcast, I wanted to listen to it. So I think like you can physically go to the seat of intelligence, which is what I did. Is I, I reached out to Ryan and went and worked for him. And But I think you can also do it like we live in a, a pretty cool time where these people are out there and they're sharing their knowledge and they're talking about like their day to day. And um, so going to the seat of intelligence could also just look like you take an interest in someone's work, go learn more about them, go learn how they did it. And it sort of demystifies one of the most powerful things for me with working with Ryan is it's demystified the process of how a book gets made. It's not this magical flash of inspiration. It's more like a blue collar, a, a blue collar career. It's like you just you put on your work boots and you go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've gotten to see how Ryan's. It's a very labor intensive process, but I see that and it's oh, it's it can be done. You know, you just mm-hmm. have to put in the time. So I, I think going to the sea of intelligence is also useful. Just like you see what it takes. And that's a pretty liberating experience. Could you speak about the writing process where I used to think before I I ran into his thought process on writing and how like the note card system, I used to just think Hemingway would sit down and he'd write 20,000 words and he has this unbelievable novel and the whole world reads it. And and, you know, the great Gatsby's written in one sitting. Like I didn't know it was such, like you said, a blue collar endeavor with no cards, a two year process of 70 books to make one book. Could you speak to the writing process that, that you've learned? Yeah. So for the kind of writing Ryan does and the kind of writing I do, I'd say 70 to 80% of it is research and reading and compiling the material. Um, so like with Ryan, he's when he sits down to start a book, it's probably 80% done because he has all, all of his research material on note cards from he says he reads 300 plus books to write one. A huge part of it is the reading and gathering the material to, to sort of marshal your argument. Cause that's really what a book is. It's like, there's, I have an argument I want to make. And to make that point, you have to go out and find quality research and stories and anecdotes and quotes to help make your point. So a good chunk of my time and a good chunk of Ryan's time is just spent in that process of reading and finding the material to support your argument. If you want to write like a book or something, like how do you figure out like I, what's the topic? Like, do you have the topic? Yeah. Do, you, do you, are you doing reading and compiling note cards and figuring out like great quotes and ideas and stories and say, what's this book about? Or do you know what the book's about? And then you, you chase those type of stories. How does that work for you? 
So I almost think like the book chooses you in a way. And I can't speak to this from like personal firsthand experience because I haven't written a book, but from what I've observed in Ryan and others, it's like a function of the material that you for some reason are latching onto. Like Ryan and I could read the same book and this, the anecdotes and stories he's going to pluck out are going to be different from the ones I pick out. And it's, I don't know exactly what that is. It's like a lottery of what you find interesting. And then you're just at over time as you're accumulating and making those no cards, then you step back and you look at it and go, okay, are there any patterns here? Are there any pieces that I can connect in an interesting way? So like Ryan with the obstacles away, he first learned about that idea of turning obstacles upside down and he made a note card of that. And then as he's reading and as he's out in the world and as he's like watching documentaries or whatever it is, he's seeing examples of people turning obstacles upside down and he's making a note card and then he's filing it away. And then pretty quickly he has a box of a thousand note cards on that idea. So it's like, okay, there's a book. And that's, that's sort of how it comes together. He's at a point now where he has 20 to 30 of these note card boxes filled. Um, and he's got a pretty good handle on, on what he wants to write about next. And so like, he just put out this book on the second virtue and of this, the four soak virtues mm-hmm. on discipline. Yep. And when he sat down to start that project, he, he went through all of his old, old note cards just to see like where, cause prior to starting that book, it wasn't top of his mind that he was going to write on that topic. But he goes back into all of his note cards and he finds things that support that idea in various places. The cool thing about the research and the note cards is it, it like compounds over time. You just he's starting from much further along than a person with an idea is that doesn't have that take years of taking notes on what he's reading. The way you describe it is such a I think you said blue collar, like that is such a blue collar approach to writing. Yeah. But it's like doing the hard work to make the writing, I don't say the writing easy, but like to, it's so much easier after all that research is done, those books are read and those note cards are all stacked and categorized. And then you, you kind of, then you got to assemble it and figure out what's your material and what's not, what to edit, what to put in and out. First, I've ever heard anyone like describe what a book process is like, which yeah. is pretty cool. Now, I appreciate you doing that. Well, maybe four or five weeks ago, I had general manager, Michael Lombardi, author of the book, Gridiron Genius. Are you familiar with him? Oh yeah. I like Mike Lombardi a lot. Great dude. He came on the show as a Philly guy. He told the story about how he was the person that got obstacle is the way through the NFL. I asked mm-hmm. him that story and it's basically, do you remember the Super Bowl where the, the Seahawks were ready to score on the goal line and Russell Wilson passed instead of Ryan Marshall Lynch? Do you remember that? Oh yeah, of course. Yep. And the, the Patriots intercepted on the goal line and they won the Super Bowl. They thought they lost. Yeah. Uh, I, like six months later, they're at the senior bowl and Mike's he's working, he's worked for the Patriots in the front office and he sees the GM of the Seahawks and he can still have that look about him. Like he's still kind of off and he gave it because you got to read this and he handed him the book and then all of a sudden it spread through the Seahawks, then it spread through the Patriots. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool story. But, Especially uh, because like Lombardi is working for the Patriots at the time to recommend it to a guy from the Seahawks. It's crazy. Pretty, yeah, it's cool. That's pretty cool. A couple of things. I really like what you wrote about online, some of your writing about creativity, productivity, and life. A couple of things. I throw a couple of like topics out. You give me like your top of mind awareness or some takeaways. 
Yeah. How about this? Here's one I love. You are the sum of your influences. Yes. Take us that, from there. That comes from, I once asked Ryan, because if you read his stuff, there's, it's both clear who some of his influences are, but there is also clear that this, he has like a unique voice, a unique style, but at the same time is clearly influenced by certain writers. So I, I asked him, like, how do you balance those two? Like wanting to find your own creative voice, but also study the greats and pull from some of what they're doing. And he was like, the reason it sounds like me is because I'm the only one that's taken my influences and put them together in the way that I have. And that, that was my takeaway is you're just, you're the average of the people who influence you, the books you read. Like when you're sitting down to write something, it's not fully coming from your mind, whether you're conscious of it or not, you're tapping into what you've read up to that point. The writers that you look up to and admire, all of that is making its way into what you're creating. Yeah. Now, are you familiar with Jim Rohn? He was kind of like a, an American author back in the yes. day. He's kind of like, uh, I guess, how Robert Greene is to Ryan and Ryan is to you. He was that guy to Tony Robbins. He was like Tony Robbins' mentor. And uh, he has a saying, you are the average of the five people you hang around with the most. Yes, definitely. I, and I think this shows up like, like I, was, I grew up playing sports. And one of the things I would do is just watch my favorite player and then i would go outside and do what they did so i would watch film of lacrosse players that i i looked up to and then i would go out and like try to do jobs that they did or i would try to shoot like them and then over time like i was just a sort of an amalgamation of all of my favorite players mm-hmm. i think it's the same thing in in writing or or any sort of creative endeavor yeah maybe a generation ago it was live now you have their online courses you yep. have their challenges, you have their books, you have their audible, you have their podcast. So like you could be, someone can be, tell me if you think this is true. I think someone could be your mentor slash major influencer, and maybe you never meet them or you met them once or twice in your life, but like you, you consume all their content and you steal their ideas and you make them yours. And like they influence you in a way, almost like you're hanging out with them. What, what do you think? hundred percent. Yeah. Ryan is obviously one of my big influences, but it- Another one is a guy named Morgan Housel, who I've never, I've never met, but I feel like I have an understanding of, of his writing similar to the way I have of Ryan's just because I've read. Is he the psychology of money author? Yes. He is awesome. I just read that. I think it was in, I think Ryan recommended it a couple, one, one of the, I think he, he's been either talking about it or recommended it in, in like the email list. And yeah. I just read that last month. That book is awesome. It's really good. He wrote online or he still does. He writes at collaboratefund.com. He's got like his own. They just let him post all of his stuff there. And I'm pretty sure psychology of money was just him going back and, and looking at like, what's the best stuff I put out in my 10 years of writing online. And he, and he just like expanded on it a, a bit and package it into that book. But I, I've been reading his stuff online for a while. I sort of think he illustrates philosophical concepts with stories and uh, sort of real life examples. Morgan does that with financial concepts. I would say I primarily read Morgan because of the stories he captures in his reading. Like he's similar to Ryan in that he comes back from reading this book with the perfect anecdote to illustrate a concept that he's to write about. But he's he's another huge influence on me. And like I said, I've never met him. But if you read my stuff, I think you can tell that Morgan Housel is is a huge influence. Uh, very cool. I'm going to link that book and his website in the show notes. I appreciate you bringing that up. I wasn't aware of his website. So thank you for sharing that. 
Mm-hmm. How about another thing you write about? Always stay a student. Yeah. The benefits of that. I sort of think about it with, so it's sort it's to that influence thing. What I've learned from working with, with other writers is they, they're just voracious students of the craft. Like that's the way Ryan is. I'm also a huge John Mayer fan. And if you ever hear John, John Mayer talk about uh, songwriting or music in general, like it's clear that he is so studied on the greats that have come before him. And I, I feel like I see that in every domain, like the people that are great at it, even like chefs. I love learning about chefs like Rene Redzepi. He's very studied on like the great chefs that, that came before him. And it's just a thread that I've seen again and again is like the people who are great at what they do are also just like the greatest students of the thing. So that that's sort of how I think about when I say stay a student, continue to learn from the greats that have come before. And that I think that touches on or follows right on to Ryan's book, Ego is the Enemy, where if you have a huge ego and you think you have it all figured out, or maybe you got your MBA at a good business school 20 years ago, and you haven't read a book since, or you haven't, you know, yeah. if you haven't read a book in 30 years, like, I think your degrees, it, it just fades in relevance day by day, right? But like, if you stay a student and you're like, wow, I'm always want- looking and wondering and asking questions. And how do you do that? Like in my school, we have some amazing white belts that just got their blue belt in jujitsu. And these guys are there. They're young dudes. They're like 20 years old. They're there like five, six days a week. They're training, they're exchanging information and they're doing some stuff. Like I just don't do it. Like, whoa, where'd you show me that move? Like you have to have the, like a humility even though you, I might've been there on the mat 20 years longer than them. I'm like, dude, show me that move. I don't know that move. Show me that. Like you have to have that humility and lack of ego and always stay a student. And I think Seneca might've said, where everyone is your teacher in some way, or everyone's your master in some way, however you phrased it. But like yes. you can learn from everybody, right? And even if it's a white belt, they might do a move that you've never seen before. And you have to be open to learn that. Or I think you're just missing out. What do you think? Definitely. So Robert Greene, like one of the greatest living writers one of the greatest of all time i think i've gotten to spend a little bit of time with him and one of the things that struck me was like he was asking me more questions than i was getting a chance to ask him i'm this like younger guy who have a little bit of work out there but nothing really substantial and like he's trying to learn from me i love that conversation i was like this is just a good way to go about life of like because it had the effect of like it made me feel good that this great writer was trying to learn from me. So it's like you give people that effect, but then you're also, you can also take, maybe I did teach him something. I don't know. Maybe you did take something away from our conversation, but yeah, I just think it's a good way to, to go about day to day is like try to learn something from everyone you have a conversation with. Yeah. That's just a great way to live your life. And Robert, obviously, he's like one of the goats of writing. His book, The Daily Laws, like that kind of like summary of all his work, like a page a day, that yeah. book is killer. Like, so oh good. my God, that book is money. If I, you could grab that, like if I'm going to Deserted Island and I got to grab 10 books, that's one of the books <laughs> I'm grabbing. That is just absolutely killer. Now, I appreciate you sharing that. How about this? This is a very stoic one. You don't control what happens, but you control how you respond. Yeah, that's that's like the core, the number one practice in stoicism. I think it's one of those things that to go back to sports, it's like that's that's one thing you learn almost subconsciously in, in athletics, but then you see it, and I think this is why sports has been attracted to Ryan's work and and the Stoics in general, 
is they just are articulating a lot of things you learn through experience and, and some of those cliches in sports that, that turn out to be true. You don't control the world, but you control how you respond. I think it just, it saves you a lot of, on a day-to-day basis, it just saves you energy and your well-being. It's just trying to step back and go, what, what do I have some control over in this situation? You know, I'm like stuck in traffic, can't, can't do anything about that, but can I put on a podcast and try to learn something that, that I might be able to use in my writing right now? And can, mm-hmm. I, can I make the most of this? Just another one of those, those mindsets that I feel like can make you not just a better person, but like a happier, <laughs> yeah. happier person. Yeah. I always put that little principle or maxim, do you control your response? I think that's hand in hand. I think it was Epictetus said, everything has two handles, one you can pick it up and one you can't. So if mm-hmm. something crazy happens at you, you can control the response by finding like what handle you can pick it up with. Like it's either, wow, this is the worst day of my life, or you know what, this is a great wake up call and the learning experience. I got to make some changes in my life. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I love, I love that, that Epictetus line. Yeah. Everything. There's always multiple ways to look at every situation and like, how can you make it work for you in the best way possible? Yeah. No, that's great. And then I'm going to combine these last two. You put production is a function of process mm-hmm. and consistent contributions compound. I think they're kind of like brother and sister there, but like you have that yes. production and you have that process, right? And then as you keep grinding those note cards or whatever you're doing, that consistent contributions, it's almost like a, a compounded interest. You don't think those $2 at the end of the day is important, but you compound like that penny at the end of the month that you have, I don't know, $5 million or something. Can yes. Yeah. It was a helpful realization for me to know that, again, it's like anything, all creative output, there's some underlying system that the person has figured out that allows them to do what they do. And I've got, I, I get to see it up close with Ryan and his note cards. And I, I've adapted a system like that where it, it just allows me to, like the newsletter I put out every weekend. If I didn't do the note cards, I wouldn't be able to do it because I sit down and I just go through like, what do I have? What if I captured this week? It's all a function of, of reading and capturing it and filing things away into the note card system. And again, that it, it compounds because over time, as you compile more and more of the research and the note cards, it just allows you to do what you do at, at the consistency that you do it. Yeah. I'm moving on here to a part of the interview we call Share Your Secrets. So our listeners can get to know you, Billy, a little bit more as a person mm-hmm. with everything you got going on, moved across the country, working for one of the top writers, so much on your plate, all these different projects you're working on. When you need to clear your mind and recharge your body. What do you do? I go for a run almost every day around 4, 4.30. I find that's about the time where my, my mind is starting to feel a little mushy and I'm, I'm noticing some, some diminishing returns. I'm typing, I'm, ma- I'm making mistakes. and I'm just like, it's been a long day. I need to get up and go move. So I, I go for a run. I'm here in Austin and not too far. I've got a trail up around Lady Bird Lake. That's just a beautiful scenic. And I, I come back from that run and I'm, I feel recharged and I can sit down and do some more of the cognitive work. But yeah, I make sure I, I almost never miss some sort of physical movement day to day. That mind and body is so interconnected, isn't it? Like there's no mm-hmm. way that you could have a sharp mind and a soft body or like 
They both have to be ignited and connected and engaged to be your best, don't you think? For sure. Yeah. And and some some of my best like thinking happens when I'm I'm not trying, I'm not like yeah. sitting, I'm not sitting down to like think about what I want to write. I'm on a run or I'm lifting mm-hmm. weights. And it's like you get that idea that becomes like the next article. So I, I think it's it also just there's something about moving the body. And I also like to like take calls on walks. And I noticed that I don't know, there's just something about moving that that gets the mind in, in a good spot. Yeah. Two things. One, I think there's a Seneca line about take long wandering walks, something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that line. And but two, how do you capture? Say you're on a run. I struggle with this sometimes where I think I'm going to remember it and I don't. Like I'm driving. I'm going, yes. I'm, I'm driving down 95 in Philly and I'm going 70 miles an hour and I get an idea and I'm like, if I go for my iPhone, I'm going to be on the news because I'm going to start a six mile <laughs> pile up. So like, how do you capture those ideas on a run or when you're not around like a computer or something? What do you do? I will take out my phone and make a note in Apple notes of just like, if I'm listening to a podcast, yep. I'll sometimes just like drop the link to the podcast and make a timestamp. Sure. And then once a week or so I'll, I'll go through that note and I'll pull up that podcast and I'll go to that timestamp. And I almost try to like, I must use my memory as a filter. It's like, if, can I go back to this timestamp and remember what I was trying to, to remember about it? And if it's a good idea, I probably will remember. And then if it's not, maybe I'll forget and, and I'll just be okay with like, all right, maybe I, I wasn't meant to, to hold on to that one. Mm-hmm. Cause I can't remember what, what I was yeah. liking about it. Sure. It's almost like baseball where like you could be a hall of fame batter or writer, like you bat 300, like maybe there's 10 ideas and three are worth pursuing. Right. Like For sure. Going, yeah. And there's two or three that are garbage and two or three that are okay. Half baked, but like there's a, of the 10, there's two, three that like, wow, these are something I could really move forward with. Right. Yes, definitely. Cool. How about we're both really big readers and we love great books. What book impacted your life or changed your mind more than any other? Do you have a favorite book? It's got to be, if I hadn't have read Perennial Seller, I just don't yeah. know where I would be right now. So I think I'd have to say, as far as like, when you throw out the, the phrase like life-changing, it, it, it's like, what does that actually mean? But like, I, I can honestly say, like, I wouldn't, I would maybe still be skiing, a ski instructor in Colorado. And, and had I not picked up that book and just like the way I live my life today on, on, a, on a day-to-day basis is all stemmed from from reading perennial seller yeah that's great there's some books come into your life at the right moment at the right time the spur thought process or like a way forward that is really cool mine would be uh, no doubt obstacles the way but the Mm -hmm. one i read every day the one i'm like on my fourth reading and i still get something out of it is the daily stoic it's just so money oh my gosh i can read something for the fifth time like i'm on like the fourth year like going around it and it feel like i'm getting different stuff out of it you know, it's three, four minutes of the morning, but it just kind of sets your mind for the rest of the day, right? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And one book, not my favorite, but I think the most underrated of all Ryan's books, I think is Conspiracy. Yes, 100%. That, that book is awesome. Like that book with Hulk Hogan is freaking crazy. The story's in there and it's like, with, like don't fuck with Peter Thiel. That's what I got out of that book. Don't, uh, don't, don't mess with him. It's so good. I, it's my dad's favorite of, of his books. And my dad's a big fiction reader. Mm-hmm. And it's the closest of Ryan's books. It's the one that you could almost say is fictionalized because it mm-hmm. just, the, the story is so unreal. 
And there's like, there's no way this happened. There's like, no way Hulk Hogan did this. There's no way that guy did this. There's no way Peter Thiel hung on to this for 10 years. Like, it, yes. it's just, yeah, it's a great book. Now it's, it's just, it's so solid. How about we just got out of COVID-19 shutdown with masks and viruses and the world shut down. What was your lesson moving across the country? Like, what was your lesson out of the COVID-19 shutdown? What'd you learn? Let me think on that. It was a weird time for me because I, I moved to Austin in February of 2020 and was going into the Painted Porch, Ryan's bookstore, where we've got some offices. Uh, I was going in there five days a week for my first two and a half, three weeks that, that I was here in Austin. And then the place, everything shut down. And I was just in my studio apartment by myself for most of that, that year, that to, to year and a half. And I, I gotten a, I got a dog at the beginning of it. And I think without him, I probably would have moved back to Philly. I would have just been like homesick. So I, he was, he was a really good companion for me. Maybe one lesson I took away from, I remember one of my friends about this, it's just like how quickly you can adapt. So it, it felt early on, like this is just a really abnormal way of living, but then very quickly you, you find your routine and you, you settle in and, and, you just sort of learn how to make the most of it. And I think you could apply that to those like sort of big life moving about is like, it seems crazy at the start, but then just think about how quickly you can adapt to, to mm -hmm. situations. Maybe that was one of the takeaways for me. I think that's great. I work for a big company. They have like the year plan, the five-year plan. Like you didn't know what was happening the next day right. like during that time sometimes, especially early on in the pandemic. Like I remember going to the, the supermarket here outside of Philly and like we have masks on and we're like, we could all be dead tomorrow. We could all like yeah. start dying tomorrow. Like we're all in this supermarket, like a few feet apart with these crappy masks on. Right. Yeah. And I'm not a doctor, but I don't think this mask is stopping that virus. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And it's yeah. like, I'm like, oh my God, we could all be like dead on ventilators in a week. And I'm like, I'm for, cause I needed to get cereal. Like it's crazy. Yes. But yeah. Being able to adapt is, is really, uh, that's really cool. What is your dog's name? By the way, I saw him running around in the background. What's your dog's name? Charlie. Charlie. He's, a, he's an Australian Shepherd. He's crazy. So cool. I heard, we hear him breathe him in the beginning in the background. So he's such a cute dog. How about uh, wrapping up here? How about if all the stuff you got going on, um, your work for Ryan, the work for you, the work you have going on for yourself, what's the most exciting project you're working on now? The most exciting, I don't know how much I can say about this, but we're doing we're, we're helping an athlete turn executive on a book project that I'm really excited and just, he was someone I looked up to and to be able to be a part of this project is, it feels surreal. And then still, like still to this day, I am just a fan of Ryan's work and to have, to be able to play a small part of it on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm just like, when I see his, his name pop up on my caller ID, I'm like, this is just, it, it feels wild to this, this writer I look up to so much to to now be able to to help him on stuff so I'm excited all the stuff he's working on to be able to contribute that is so cool I mean the work you're doing I, I listened to the podcast of the Sto Daily Stoic and the Daily Daddy they have three kids and uh, to be able just to produce one of them let alone two <laughs> Let yeah. alone like the reading list, let alone the books that literally pump out. Like it seems like every six months, another book's coming out. Um, yeah. It is. 
And then the challenges, and then you go to the challenges on the daily stoic life. Um, <laughs> crazy. Like, I mean, it's, he has the productivity thing down and the yeah. process down. Like it's crazy. So th- please keep guys, keep going, keep them coming. Cause it's, uh, you're helping a lot of people out there. So I appreciate you That's wrapping cool up here. A couple of fun questions to wrap up to be respectful of your time. Billy, if everyone listening mm-hmm. could take one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would that lesson be? I feel like a, a theme we were talking about is, is the sort of like go for it mentality. Um, I think a lot of people do some negotiating of they have this idea if they want to try something and they want to make a career move or, or whatever, and they talk themselves out of it. But um, I don't know. I just, in my experience, when Rich Roll has this idea of like when your heart is true, this, this sort of stars align to and the world conspires to help you. I've sort of have seen that in my own life, but yeah, I would just, I would just encourage people to find a way to maybe it's not you like drop everything and make a move, but is there a way you can start to make some small steps to, to having this, this thing you want to pursue become a bigger and bigger part of your life. Yeah. You know, just baby steps like that grand victory, like D day is so, so rare, but those, you could always do the next baby step, right? Yep, for sure. So, and Rich Roll, my gosh, I, I almost stop podcasting when I hear listen to him because he is so <laughs> good. His yeah. voice is so perfect, and his like his pitch and his questions, like he does it at such a high level. I'm almost embarrassed that go on my podcast when I listen to him talk. Like he's so good, isn't he? he the guys, a stud. Yeah, he's great. Um, how about here? Two other questions just to wrap up here. If you could spend the day with any anyone, historical figure, alive or dead. Yeah. Who would it be? This is, I think this is fresh in my mind because I just finished this biography of Walt Disney and mm-hmm. I didn't know what to expect when I started it, but I just came away from it with a lot of respect for him and his just relentless pursuit of this thing he wanted to do, which was tell stories and work for himself. And there's just story after story of how he was, put you know there's an obstacle in his path and he's he's sent back to the starting line but he he finds a way to like make something of it and i just uh he's quickly become someone i, I would look up to really cool walt is i mean talk about someone who changed the face of entertainment and almost the culture of america that, that is that is really good last question mm-hmm. and it's funny i got this question from I'll explain later where I got it, but maybe you can figure it out. Last question. Billy Oppenheimer. Yes. If, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, Ooh. what would that quote or motto say? So I actually, I actually think I want to get this tattoo, but it's not, a, it's not exactly a quote, but it's, it's symbolic of, of something. I told you I, I lived in Australia for a little bit and over there, they, when you say like, hey, do you want to do this? They say uh, oath, which just means like, I'm down. Let's do it. Oh, oath. And that became like a kind of, of motto. And they say they usually they actually typically say uh, fucking oath. If we, I don't know if I can curse on here, but Go ahead. but but with their accent, it's it sounds like Falcon Falcon oath and. <laughs> When I first, when I was over there and I first tried to like use it in conversation, I said Falcon Oath. And they're like, did you just say Falcon? 
And I was like, yeah, is that, isn't that what you guys said? And they're like, no, 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 this is what we said. But it became like a thing is like Falcon Oath. And so I want to get a Falcon somewhere on my body and it just have it be representative of Falcon Oath of just like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. Do you want to go do this? Falcon Oath. And I think about it pretty, <laughs> almost on a daily basis, Falcon Oath. That is so cool. Falcon Oath. Let's do it. <laughs> I think that is about as good as a spot as any to wrap it up. Billy Hoppenheimer, I'd like to thank you for joining us, man. It's just an honor to speak with you and so impressive what you got going on. And uh, thank you for your time, man. Wish you nothing but future success. I appreciate it, Joe. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you inviting me on and for being a fan of some of the stuff I'm doing. It's really cool to get, get to meet you. Billy, if people are looking for you and your work and Ryan online, where can we find you online? I think the best place would be my site, billyoppenheimer.com. Okay. You can sign up for my newsletter there. Which is uh, awesome. Six by six, right? Six at six? Yes. Yeah. So I send it out every Sunday. It's become one of my favorite things to do. I'm on the socials. I'm getting more active on Twitter at BP Oppenheimer and... And then, yeah, check out, I definitely encourage people to check out Ryan's books if they haven't already. His, his newest one, Discipline is Destiny, is, I think, maybe one of his best to date. So I definitely check that out. What I'll do is I'm going to put your website, billyandoppenheimer.com, on the show notes. I'll put your Twitter link. I'll put a link to your newsletter there, all the great work you're doing. And uh, hey, when you're in Philly, next time you come up, have you ever trained jiu-jitsu? Have you ever trained Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Never. All right, so we got a school in Ambler about a mile from Germantown Academy, maybe two miles. We're right on Butler Pike in Ambler. Oh, and, cool. And that's called Adaraxis. Anyway, if you're ever around, on me, man. We'd love to meet you up Meet you up there. I'm going to take you up on it. Let's Seriously, do it. Germantown, let's do it. We'd love to have you. Not too far from Casey's Alley. Yeah, I, I know exactly where you are. Awesome. Yeah, Billy, great to meet you, man, and best of luck with everything. Thank you, Joe. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Joe Chicarone. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please leave us a five-star review. It goes a long way with connecting the podcast with more listeners. So if you could, I would really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Talk soon.